Revelation 6. Revelation 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked and behold a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering to conquer. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he had opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, the moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell into the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is, that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Who can stand? This amazing passage. Now, we, we very quickly, after chapters 4 and 5, move into a very difficult section of the book of Revelation. From here on out, there's going to be some very difficult things. In this, and one of the things that we as we we started Revelation four, we started in, and got into chapter five. One of the things I've I, I kind of been challenged to think about is is this issue of just casually treating something and casually treating God. And we've talked about you know why is it people treat things casually? They don't care. Uh, that's one reason, and not important. That's another one. We talked about to not understanding something. We don't understand the importance of something. How has this happened? How do we treat something casually? I think we all can, can make a list of why we treat things casually, but how, you know, we don't give it our full attention. That's one way, right? It's not something that's important, so I don't give it my full attention. 
whether I need to or not. I just treat it casually. That's one way that I treat something casually. I don't give it enough time. I just don't spend enough time in it. And so, you know, it's just a casual thing. It's just sort of a hobby for me. But another way in which we sometimes treat things casually, we may not think about, is that we're prone to create lists of priorities, right? I mean, in one sense, it's good. It's good to have priorities. It's good to say this is a priority or this is a priority. And, you know, I I get up today and I need to take care of this. This has to be at the top of the list. In one sense, that's good. But sometimes we can create lists of priorities and and create these compartments of life. and, And they don't ever cross over. In other words, you know, at this part, at this part, on Mondays I'll be this, and maybe Monday mornings I have to do this, and Monday afternoons it's totally something different. And so they're just compartments of our life, and we prioritize these. And if we're not careful, we end up doing this with God as well, and with church and things like that. It just becomes, you know, sort of this list of priorities. And, and, and the point is they don't ever really cross over so that there is no clear set of one standard or one way of thinking, and there's nothing that really permeates the whole. It's just these individual isolated compartments. And so we live like that. Eventually, something's going to be treated casually because we we can't get to everything all the time, right? So I think when it comes to the issue of how, how do we treat God casually, I think the same whys apply here. But how do we treat Him casually? And I think the first two are self-explanatory. With some just don't care. So they just don't care about it. They don't read their Bibles. They don't pray. They don't go to church. God's not, a, not, God's not something that's important. In fact, he may just be outright rejected altogether and even go as far as to say he doesn't even exist and things like that. That's self-explanatory. He's just not important. There are more important things in my life right now. I hear young people say this. Here, young people say, you know, well, look, I just got a lot of things right now. I got to finish college. I got to get a job. I got this. We're starting a family. And so, uh, and in fact, more and more, it seems to be a trend that, that, that younger and younger, that God's just not important. Church is not just, it's just not something they're, they're into right now. And sometimes you hear them say, look, I'll get into it later. There's time for that. You know, there's time for that. Well, is there? I mean, if coronavirus has taught us one thing, it can be taken like that, right? It could be shaken and all of a sudden we're thrown into uncertainty and doubt. So, so that's one, it's not important. But, but I, think, I, think this, I think the third reason that I gave here about you know, compartmentalizing life and prioritizing life, and again, there's good, that, there's a place for that. But I think, too, we don't fully understand the ramifications We don't fully understand the ramifications of the gospel, God's word, God seated on his throne, God being sovereign in his providence. We don't see God at the center of everything, including coronavirus. We don't see his hand in everything. We don't. We we, we sort of have these compartments and... Well, there's, there's this, and oh yeah, God's here. Like, we're sitting here now, right? You may, you're listening wherever you are. Yeah, God's in this. But when I leave here and go have lunch, is God in the lunch? When I go about my business this afternoon or tomorrow, I wake up and go to my job, is God in that? Or is that just sort of a, a, a part that, you know, uh, uh, I, I did my God thing, and so I didn't treat him casually on Sunday. 
But you know, the temptation will be is we'll treat him so casually tomorrow, right? Because, because we don't see the crossover. We don't see him at the center of everything. We keep him in his corner, so to speak. We see him in certain areas, salvation and blessing, Mother's Day. We see him in that. But here's the thing. Let moral evil, moral evil, and let natural evil show its face. And look, coronavirus is a natural evil. It's a natural evil. You let moral evil and natural evil show its face, and all of a sudden, we're tempted to start retreating. We're tempted to start retreating and making excuses for God and saying, well, you know, or maybe trying to save him from this. We need to excuse him away. We need to explain him away. We need to tame him somehow. You know, God had nothing to do with this. It's one of the, some of the things that I've heard people saying. God had nothing to do with this. This is just something that happened. It's natural. It's, you know, it's a virus. God had nothing to do with this. Oh, yes, he did. You see, this is the point. God is speaking. You remember a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I I read you a sermon by Spurgeon when he talked about the the, uh, cholera outbreak. And and Spurgeon's sermon, the title of it was The Voice of Cholera. He's speaking. He is always speaking. And we'll treat him casually and we'll miss what he's saying when we don't see him at the center of everything. And we don't see his hand in everything. We don't hear his voice everywhere. We'll begin to treat him just casually. We'll hear him on Sunday. We'll hear him on Wednesday. But I'm not sure that I hear him on Monday. I mean, that's, that's sort of I do my thing and... Look, it's a result, it's the fruit of a post-Christian society. That's what it is. It's post-Christian thinking. This is not biblical thinking. Well, John won't let us do that. The book of Revelation is not going to let us do this. What John sees... What he sees is something that is not to be treated casually. It's not to be treated lightly. It's not just some compartment that we go, hey, I think we'll study uh, apocalyptic literature now. Okay, let's pull out the book of Revelation. No, Revelation has something to say about all areas of our lives. It has something to say about all of our lives. It has something to say about every area. It has something to say about all times. Not just regulated to the end. John's not going to let us treat God casually. He's not. We've seen that in chapter 4, right? I mean, how can you treat that one casually that's seated on the throne? How can you treat the Lamb? Because the Lamb in chapter 5, at the center of all this, is the Lamb that was slain. We hear His voice everywhere. We see His hand everywhere. And at the center of everything that He's doing, everything He's saying, is Christ. And the lamb that was slain. And what he's about to show us. What he's about to show us. Starting in chapter 6. And there's going to be this section that we go through here. But what he's about to show us. Is that God still speaks in judgment. He still speaks in judgment. And when we hear that. We we kind of want to shy away a little bit. Don't we? 
We kind of want to say, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, gee, yeah, he speaks in love, and he speaks in that, and blessing, and like I said, so forth. But, I mean, speaking in ju- yeah, he still speaks in judgment. And you know what? He speaks clearly. He speaks clearly. He speaks consistently. He's not scattered in what he's saying. He speaks coherently. We may not understand all of it, but we can understand something of it, and we can get the big part of what he's saying. And if we hear his, if we don't hear his voice in it, then we'll be left panicking, and we'll be left grasping. We'll be left grasping for straws and panicking and not sure what we're going to do and how's this thing going to happen. Have we not seen that in the last couple of months? I mean, who do we trust? Who do we listen to? I told you early on, we've seen, what, one thing I think, at least in my mind, what we've seen from coronavirus is, is we've seen God bless and we've seen some amazing things. But we, has all, we have also seen God expose some failures in our society and in our culture. He has exposed some failures here. And in seeing those failures, things that we had placed our trust in, I think he's pulling the rug out from under our feet and saying, you better, you better look to me now. Well, chapter 6 is the breaking of the seals. We're going to look at them in two groups. There's the first group, the four horsemen, right? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then there's the second group, because seal 5 and 6, it's clearly those seals are different from the first four. They're different from the first four. In Revelation chapter 4, we see the one seated on the throne in that great scene and that Glorious scene of God. There he is. And then chapter 5, the word, the lamb. Who, who's able to take that scroll from the one that's seated on the throne? And the lamb. And the reason why he's worthy is because he was slain. He was slaughtered. And yet he's standing. Resurrected. He's alive. And what does he do? He steps forward. He takes the scroll. And now finally he begins to open that scroll. He's the only one that can do it. No one else could do it. Remember, it says that there was a powerful angel there? The one that was speaking, powerful angel? That powerful angel, he couldn't even do it. There was nothing within creation itself that could do it. It took the lamb that was slain. And that imagery that was there, that symbolic imagery that was so full in chapter 5, at the end of the day, it's God himself who's able to take it and break it and, and, and loose these seals. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. Well, what we'll see in this is, and this is going to be a pattern that sort of sets up. I'm not going to say a whole lot this morning about the structure here. We'll get to the structure later. We're eventually going to have to deal with the structure of these seals and the trumpets and the bowls and so forth. But not yet. Not yet. We're going to kind of keep our thought trained, I think, on the central theme of what John is revealing here. But we'll see the six seals they're broken, and then there's a break. Revelation 7, there's a break. And then the, the, the scroll, the seventh seal, is actually not broken until chapter 8, verse 1. And, and it seems to be, at, at the way this, that John describes this, you see the seal, there's seven seals there, and he begins to break the seals. The lamb begins to break the seals. Now, with the breaking of the first seal, it appears, some have said that the, that the scroll must have been sort of bound up in some way and sealed so that the seal breaks and there's the first section of the book and the seal breaks and there's the second section. I don't think that's it. I think it's just this, this whole scroll is rolled up. There's seven these pieces of parchment around, sealed, stamped with wax, and he begins to break one seal. 
So in other words, the book is not open yet. It's just a seal. You, haven't, you don't see the full contents yet. You, you follow that? You see that, that picture? It's, it's, it's broken and, and a little bit, maybe you know, a little corner flaps open, but you can't see the whole thing yet. So he begins to break these seals. And again, this is a very difficult section. Oh, there's been so much ink spilled over what this is, uh, you know, what these things symbolize. It is apocalyptic literature. John is writing and he's using symbolic language here. We have to understand that. We need to try to get behind it, try to understand it. What is it pointing to? It's very difficult. Seals, trumpet, bowls. One of the, one of the things we have to try to understand, are we dealing with the past? In other words, is all this past? Some see this as being past. Some see these seals in Revelation 6 and these seven seals or the six seals with the seventh one being the trumpets as, as what's happened in the past. They see it church history. They see this is the period up until the time of Constantine. Others shove it all the way to the future. In other words, everything from Revelation 4 basically to Revelation 19, it's all dealing with future. It's dealing with future tribulation. It's dealing with future wrath. It's dealing with future judgment. Or is it both? Is John just simply describing and the breaking of the seals just showing us what's always been there? These things have always been there. They were there in the past. They're here now, and coronavirus is showing us some of this. And you know what? They're going to be in the future too. In fact, there's, there's an indication that they may intensify in the future. I'll go ahead and tip my hand here. That's sort of the way I read this. That's sort of the way I read this. And we'll go through this and I'll show you why in some of these places. But we'll get to structure and things like that more on the time sequence of things a little later. Well, here's the first group, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, uh, let me just say this too. The first four here, they seem to go very quickly. They seem to go sort of in rapid succession. It's the way, that's the way it sort of reads. When you read it, that's the feel you get. Bang, 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 bang. And then the fifth seal, a little slows down a little bit. And then the sixth seal, it seems to slow down just a bit. And it also seems that the first four, in some sense, in some sense, and maybe even five and six, almost get the feel that this is preliminary things. That these are sort of the preliminaries before we really get into the meat of the judgment and wrath of the Lamb. It almost gets the feel of, of, of this being sort of preliminary. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the structure later. Now, we see horsemen, right? Four horsemen. Some have made the connection with Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8. Zechariah chapter 6, beginning in verse 2. Some have made the connection that Zechariah sees these horsemen. He sees horses, he sees riders, and therefore... John is dependent on Zechariah, and so there must be some link between the content of Zechariah and Revelation. I don't think there's any link in the content. You read the two, you read Zechariah, it's different. Some, at some places, the horses are different colors. The whole purpose of what those riders are sent out to do, they're sort of sent out to scout. It's, it's a different purpose for why these horse riders, these horses and riders, are loosed. 
So I don't think there's a one-to-one sort of dependence there, but it does show us that this is apocalyptic literature. This symbolism, this symbolic language of using horses and riders and, and, and showing uh, the work of God in apocalyptic literature, it's just Zechariah uses the same, the, same, uh, the same type of literature. I mentioned this Wednesday night because I went and we read in Luke, we read Luke chapter 21, we read Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse. Because the content is clearly what Jesus is saying. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. We won't take the time to go read through it now. If you want to go back and read it, you can. But I think the content of six and the content of these seals is very clearly seen in the Olivet Discourse. I'll just say this in summary. Jesus has asked two questions when he sees the temple and they're looking at the temple and he says this temple's going to be destroyed. And they ask him two questions. When is it going to be destroyed and what's the sign of your coming? Because they connect it with the end time. And Jesus answers both questions. He answers both questions. He tells them, and the first part of that Olivet Discourse is describing the destruction of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple in 70 A.D. And then he says, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And he quotes Daniel 7. And then he answers the second question. When will, what will be the sign of your coming? And he begins to talk about the sign of his coming. Which I think and take as being his second coming. So what he does in answering that, that the issue in the Olivet Discourse is he sort of weaves in and out of history and reaches to the future and answers the question about the sign of his coming. I think that's similar to what John is doing. And I think it's similar to what Revelation 6 and what he's doing. He's going to sort of weave in and out of here. Has this stuff always been around? Yeah, it has. Is it around right now? Yes, it is. Is it going to be in the future? Yes, it is. Will it be worse in the future? I think so. Will it intensify in the future? I think so. I think it will. So the content, I think, very clearly is connected with the Olivet Discourse and what Jesus is saying and what he's speaking to the disciples about the destruction of the temple and the sign of his coming. So here we go. You ready? Four horsemen. Four horsemen. No, these aren't the four horsemen of Notre Dame football history. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Who were they? And what on earth were they sent to do? Well, I, you need to pay attention to the language. Because chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Now I watched when the Lamb, this is the one of chapter 5, the Lamb that was slain steps forward, takes the scroll, he begins to loose the seals here. I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Is it the top one? Don't know. Is it the bottom one? Don't know. How did he begin to, I mean, you would just sort of think he would turn it up, maybe start at the top, right? But he begins to break the seals. He opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures. Now, this is, this is four living creatures we saw in chapter 4. We saw them again in chapter 5. And he, John says, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder. It's not some weak little voice you know, some little squeaky, Millie Mouse, you know, voice, Mickey Mouse voice. This is the voice of thunder. And what does he say? Now, some translations have come and see, as if the living creature is saying to John, 
Come, I want to show you something. Now the verb there, come, that's a, that, that, that verb could be taken that way. But literally in the Greek, there's just one word. It's just come. I think, he's not talking to John, I think Christ begins to loose the seal and what this living creature says is to the first horseman, come! And guess what? He obeys. He comes. He comes. Who was he? He says, And I looked and behold a white horse. And his rider and bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering to conquer. White horse. Now some make the connection here with Christ in Revelation 19. If you go read Revelation 19 beginning in verse 1, it's very clearly Revelation 19. He's coming back. It's a white horse. It's very clearly that's Christ. But I don't think this is Christ. They don't fit. They don't fit. I don't think this is Christ. Some say that this is Christ, the conquering of the gospel, and that before God really gets to the bad stuff, he gives us some hope and he gives us some encouragement to let us know that at the beginning, hey, look, everything's going to be okay because Christ is going to conquer. I don't think this is Christ at all. This white horse and the rider that's on it, he has a bow. It's a, it's a military weapon. Some have made a point about, well, there's no arrows there. and I don't, that's, that's getting behind the symbolism too far. The symbolism is clear. White horse, what does white horse stand for? Conquering, victorious. And he has a bow, military. A crown was given to him. Why would a crown be given to a, a military conqueror? Because he won. And he goes and he's conquering to conquer. In other words, he just didn't go win one battle. He went and won battle after battle after battle. In other words, what this is is military conquest. Most agree, this is military conquest. So when the first seal is loose, and again, if this is some sort of preliminary leading up to the, 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 the real meat of the judgment of God. First seal loosed, come, white horse, rider, military conquest. Have we seen military conquest throughout the history of the world? Have we seen, you know, great military, at least in, in our understanding of, you know, the world's understanding of great military giants who have conquered and conquered and conquered? I mean, you go back and you think, of, you know, like Alexander the Great, you think of Genghis Khan. Have we, have we seen, you know, it, just, just in the last century or so, have we seen military conquest? We've seen military conquest. I mean, what were we scared to death of after World War I, after World War II? What were we scared to death? They were, it looked like they were conquering the world, right? Wasn't it communism? And at one point it looked like communism was going to conquer the world and we're scared to death and we go into the Cold War. The point is, we've seen this throughout the history of the world. We've seen it. We've seen it within our lifetime. It's always been there and it's going to be in the future and it's probably going to be intensified and it may even be so intensified that it, it's, it's sort of brought down into one person in the future. Centered around one person, possibly the Antichrist in the future. But it's very clear, this first seal, military conquest, then notice what happens. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard, same language, same construction, the second living creature. So here's another living creature, steps forward, and this living creature says, come. Again, I don't think it's to John, come and see. I think what he's saying is to the horse and the rider, come. 
and verse 4, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted. Notice the language. Pay close attention to the language. He was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Great sword. Micaiah sword. Some have said, well, this, this may have been just sort of the, a smaller knife. No, it wasn't. This was a great sword. And the symbolism here is clear. What happens? First horse, first seal, military conquest. What's the second horse, second seal? Civil unrest. People begin slaughtering each other. Civil war. Breakdown of government. Breakdown of law. And people are at each other's throats. Have we seen this through the history of the world? Absolutely. Have we seen societies and cultures collapse and cannibalize each other? Yes. Have we come close in this country? Yes. Has coronavirus showed us that just a little disruption in the system and our comfort and, and every that we could be on the brink of this? Yes. And who would ever thought from a virus, right? No, it's got to be the Democrats. The Democrats have got to be the ones that are going to cause the slaughter. It's got to be those liberal judges, right? It's got to be those crooked politicians. It's got to be, you know, the cultural things that we get so uptight of. It's got to be those things. I mean, you know, my goodness, that's what's got to be. And yet a little virus has almost literally brought us to the brink of social chaos, which was just one step away. And you think I'm crazy, but I'm not. It's one step away from us slaughtering each other. Is this going to be in the future? You bet. Will it begin? Be intensified? I think so. I think so. But I, again, notice the language. This one was permitted to take peace from the earth. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Then he gets to the third seal. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. Again, notice, same construction. And, and again, as you read this, it almost seems like that, that this is happening quick. First, second, third, fourth. Boom. So here comes the third one. I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. He had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, in the middle of them, saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not. This is so interesting. Why is this thrown in here? Do not harm the oil and the wine. This black horse. Famine. Economic chaos. All agree that this seems to be pointing to scarcity. Famine. He's riding the scales in his hand. And this denarius, well, a denarius, one denarius was a day's wage, all right? So, so let's try to picture this. Because a day's wage was buying just enough food to eat for a day. Usually a denarius, some estimate a denarius would have bought 12 to 15 times more than just one day's supply. So what are we talking about? We're talking about inflation. We're talking about famine. We're talking about economic chaos, economic chaos. That's what's happened. This black horse, its rider, scales, scarcity. 
That's the picture that's here. Has this always been in the world? You bet. Have we seen it? Has has our country gone through? You remember the Great Depression? Again, let let me just make application to coronavirus. Scarcity? I mean, one of the first things, you couldn't find toilet paper. Oh, why toilet paper? That just baffled me. Now what are we worried about? In a month or two, the meat supply. Right? Milk. Eggs. Scarcity. Why? Because of bad government policy? No, that may figure into some of it, but... I think you'll get where I'm going with this. Why? Because of the Russians? Why? Because of that nut in North Korea? No, because of a virus. A virus. And God has caused, God has caused such economic chaos in America from a virus. Scarcity, and we're scared to death. Will it be in the future? You bet. Will it be intensified? Probably. Probably. There's a friend of mine that has a blog, and I, I read this at the beginning of coronavirus, and um, it just caught my attention because I knew eventually we would get to Revelation 6. And at the start of this, he talked about going into a grocery store. And, you know, everybody was, you know, we need to buy this and we need to buy that. And he was talking about how he went into the grocery store and the grocery store he went in was limiting the number of canned goods and he bought some canned goods. And I think he said that as he left the store that a guy came up and offered him like, you know, just astronomical amount of money, like two canned goods, two can, uh, cans of green beans for like $8 or something. And he's like, I'm not going to, but the guy made him take the money. And so, in other words, his point was he walks in there and there's scarcity. He's looking, he's going, wow, there's scarcity. But there's something that's said here, and this is what he picked up on. This is, this, is what he made. this is what he was thinking about, coronavirus, and what he had experienced in the grocery store. Remember what it says here? Come, look, black horse, rider, periscales, heard a voice, four li- one of the four living creatures are in the midst of the four living creatures, a quart of wheat for denarius, three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. What do you mean don't harm the oil and wine? It could be, it could be that what, and there's been a lot of explanation given for this, but, but one that seems to be reasonable to me, it could be that what he's pointing out is this is not total devastation. It's bad, but it's not total. And, I, and what's, what's, what's being scarce here is what is necessary. See, you've got to have wheat. You don't necessarily have to have oil and wine in the first century, but you had to have wheat. And this is, this is what the friend of mine was saying about looking at this and going to the, his experience in the grocery store. He said, as I thought about it, essential stuff was scarce. Hard to find milk, hard to find eggs, hard to find this. But, but you look at the luxurious stuff, the stuff that's not really necessary, and it was full. The shelves were full of it. Right? That may be your same experience. You go in there and you can't find toilet paper. You can't find eggs. You can't find milk. You got to have toilet paper, right? But if you want some high-end, luxurious, some kind of uh, fancy food, man, it's all over the shelves, right? You're going to pay for it. I just thought that was an interesting point, and that may be what 
John, there may be some irony here of what the statement is pointing to. But I think, it, I think ultimately, again, I think it's a theme that's moving through here. It's not, totally, it's not total devastation. Not total devastation. Then we get to the fourth seal, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of, a four, of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. Is it just the grave or is it hell itself following him? Is, that, is it just death and a grave and other people die and they, they are put in a grave? Or, or is it death and, and the fury of hell following him? And notice again, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. Not the whole earth, just a fourth of the earth. But notice the language again. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth. What were they given authority to do? To kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. It almost seems like this one really gets intense. Okay? Four horsemen of the apocalypse. Military conquest. Civil unrest. Civil war. Famine. Scarcity. And then death. Just all out death. By all means. That's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Again, have we seen this throughout history? Yeah, we have. We've seen all of this. Have we seen nations that, 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 that meet this criteria? Yeah, we've seen them. The question then would be, who would John's readers have in mind? I think it's clear and all agree that John's readers would have in mind one nation, one empire, and that's the Roman Empire. You see, when they heard this, they're thinking... Roman Empire. They're thinking Caesar. They, they're thinking that. Have, have we seen this in history? Yes. Have we seen this now? Yes. Has coronavirus taken people who otherwise would have been alive today? Yes. Is it in the future? Yes. Is it going to be intensified? Yes. In other words, as we see this, and if this is preliminary, if this is sort of, sort of like an overview and maybe preliminary and these seals are getting broken and, and the scroll by this point, the sixth seal, the scroll is, is really almost open. The seventh isn't broken yet, but it's open a little, and, and, and there's this anticipation. What's in it? What's it say? And again, remember, we go back to chapter 5, the lamb that comes, he comes forward. And why is John weeping when no one can come forward? Because what the scroll, what this book is, it's the purposes of God. It's the purposes of God and salvation and redemption and judgment. And if no one can loose the seals, then his purposes will not go forth. And here's the lamb opening it up and, 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 and breaking the seals. And the purposes of God and redemption and judgment are about to go forth fully. One of the interesting things is when you read the Olivet Discourse, there's, there's this language that's there. And in fact, it's called, I think Matthew calls, the birth pains. In other words, before the coming of the Messiah, there's these birth pains. You know, I think you know what birth pains are. It's Mother's Day, right? The birth pains before actually giving birth. In other words, birth pains let you know, ah, it's time. I remember with all mine. I remember when that moment came. And I remember when I got that look. And I got that little uh, voice, it's time. Okay. Are the seals saying it's time? It's time. 
you better listen. Because God still speaks in judgment. And you better listen. You better hear what he's saying. Now, I also want to point out in this, that he's speaking. And the thing is, who's behind this? God's behind this. It's not like these horses and riders were all wrapped up in the seal and, and, and God's trying to hold them back and he's trying to hold them back and he can't hold them back anymore and it's just like, okay, they're loose. No, God's controlling this. God's behind this. God's doing this. It's, it's why Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, remember several weeks ago in Lamentations, what shocked Jeremiah was not that judgment came. It's what shocked Jeremiah was the fact that God did this to his people. That was shocking. You mean God would do this? Yes, he would. Why? Because he's just. And that's what we're about to see in this next seal. He's just. So God is speaking. He's speaking. But notice again with these four horsemen, they're controlled, come. They don't come until they're commanded to come and then they obey. Was given to them. This authority, whatever it was given, it's passive voice. So someone else gave them. They didn't take this on their own. God's directing this. They're limited. Don't touch the oil and wine. Only a quarter of the earth. See, they're limited there. God's clearly behind this. God's clearly in charge of this. You look at a place like Ezekiel chapter 14, beginning there in verse 21. And Ezekiel's talking about, you know, God sending these four disasters on his people and judging them. Why would he do that? It's because of their sin. It's because of their sin. That's why he would do that. That's why he would do that. Well, I tell you what, we're going to save the second group for next week. There's just too much in that fifth seal for us to try to give it just a, a few minutes of time. There's too much in that fifth seal. These four seals, these four horsemen of the apocalypse... Are, 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 go back to the beginning. Are we going to treat God so casually? You, you, you see, I hope what you start to see is, you see how chapter 4 and chapter 5 begins, it sets the stage for what we start to see unfolding in chapter 6. You see, it's God on His throne. He's sitting on His throne. He's sovereign. It's His providence. He's in control of all this. And who's at the center of what He's saying? Who's at the center of, of His hand in everything and Him speaking to us everywhere? It's the Lamb in chapter 5, the Lamb that was slain. Who is it that's loosing these seals? It's the Lamb that's loosing the seals. If God did this, and we go back and look at the history of the Old Testament and look at the history of Israel and the history of his people and how God told them time and time again, warned them time and time again, and judgment would come time and time again. And we go back and look at the history of that. And then we come to our time and we look at our culture, we look at our nation. You see, to me, the shocking thing is not that coronavirus came. It's not that coronavirus came. Why wouldn't we expect God to send judgment? 
I mean, really, if we're really thinking from a Christian worldview, and we're really thinking, and we're really understanding God's hand in everything, and God being a just God, God being holy and righteous, and and we really understand that. And this is going to get to the fifth seal because what are they going to cry out? They're going to cry out for. They're going to cry out for God. You've got to avenge us. Your justice is at stake. If you don't act, if you let us continue to go and go and go and you do nothing, your justice is at stake. And if your justice falls, everything about you begins to unravel. Everything about our Christian faith begins to unravel. Everything about a Christian worldview begins to unravel. And all we're left with is chaos. If his justice falls well guess what it ain't gonna fall and the shocking thing is not that coronavirus came maybe shocking is not the right word surprise surprising thing is not that coronavirus came if we're really thinking biblically the surprising thing is that it's not worse right Given who we've become, the surprising thing is that it's not worse. But there's a warning. We don't know what's next. Right? So what are we going to do? We're going to panic? Oh, the four horsemen. Oh, man. You know, this chapter is going to end with who can stand. Let me tell you who can stand. You know who can stand? It's the ones who are in Christ. Who's going to stand? It's the ones who are in Christ. Who throughout history of these things happening, who is it that, that have stood? Who is it that has, has been, been, been firm? Who is it that has been safe and secure, leaning on the, on the everlasting arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, safe and secure from all alarms? Who is it that's been safe from this? Yeah, they've given their lives and we'll see it. And the fifth seal. Yeah, they, they, they've been slaughtered. Yeah, they've died. Yeah, they, they've had cruel things happen to them. They have. My goodness, read Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the things that happened to those people. And yeah, they're described as people whom this world's not worthy in chapter 12. Right? Or, or the end of chapter 11. So, so it's, it's, not the, it's not that God's going to protect us and, and everything's going to be great and wonderful and there's going to be blessing and no problems and our lives are going to be you know, filled with bliss and glory. We have been blessed in this country to have that, but there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who don't have that. And they have been slaughtered. So what's, what's my point? Who is it that stands in all this? It's those who are in Christ. It's those who have turned from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ. That's who stands. That's who's okay. That's who we're going to see in the fifth seal. That's who we're going to see under the altar. It's those bought by the blood of the Lamb. It's those who have turned from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ. I've, I've been saying and, and have tried to say as clear as I could throughout this whole thing. Who is it that's going to stand through all this? Who does the world really need to hear from through all of this? They need to hear from Christians. They need to hear from those who are in Christ and who have clear, consistent, coherent thinking and can put this thing in its larger, proper context and seeing the hand of God, and hearing the voice of God. 
What's he saying to you? What's he saying to me? I think it's Nehemiah 10. You remember what we read this morning? Stop treating him casually. It's time to recommit. It's time to re-up. It's time. What is he saying? He may be saying to you that, you know, it's time for you to really take a serious look at your heart. Because the reason you treat him so casually is you don't really know him. You don't really know him. And you need to come to know him. You need to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in him. The one who died was buried and raised the third day. You need to turn to Christ and trust him. Whatever, whichever one, my sheep, you remember this from Wednesday night, my sheep, what? Hear my voice. Let's hear it. Let's pray together. Father, as we begin to un- unpack and look at this section, this very difficult section of the book of Revelation, and the seals and the four horsemen, we need to understand that you still, you still speak. You still use the language of judgment. So rather than trying to figure out Dates and times and that sort of thing. Help us to hear your voice in this. And there's a very clear call. There's a very clear call. It's bad. It's not as bad as it could be. And it's not as bad as it will be. Help us hear. And flee to Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen.